Last week, we began a brand new sermon series from the New Testament book of First John. And we are calling this sermon series a loving disciple maker. Again, in the previous sermon series, you may have heard that we are here trying to become disciple makers here at church. We are going to encourage one another. We are going to challenge one another to grow spiritually and become disciple makers. So Pastor Jeremy, when he began the sermon series last week, he preached from the first four verses of First John chapter 1. And this morning I want to pick it up from verse 5 and on. So if you would open your Bibles to First John chapter 1. And if you are using the blue Bible that is provided by the church, you can find that on page 1301. First John chapter 1, page 1301. It has been said that four events radically alter anyone's life. See if you agree. Four events that radically alter people's lives. First, getting married. You know, you may have been single with all the freedom and someone else had invaded your space. And that radically alters the life. Second, birth of the first child. You know, you got married, you two are getting along very well together and you're enjoying one another. And all of a sudden, a third person had invaded the space. Do you remember the sleepless nights? Getting on each other's nerves. That's the second event that radically alters people's lives. Third, a great trial, like a serious or life-threatening illness. It can alter a family's life forever. And the fourth one is this. Death of a loved one. For example, the spouse. And it is hard, especially when it comes all of a sudden. And you, know, you and I know friends who have had those kinds of experiences. Perhaps there are others. Regardless, the fact remains that those who make the necessary adjustments to these life-altering events, come out stronger on the other side. And those who do not may struggle and perhaps even collapse. Now for Christians, for us today and for the apostles who were living at that time, some 2,000 plus years ago, God in human flesh 
the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ had invaded their lives. In fact, if you look with me to chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In other words, this God who is light had invaded their lives. As a result, it altered their lives forever. Now, let me illustrate this for you. What I'm going to do is to turn off all the lights in the auditorium. I promise I won't do anything weird. Now, Paul has this light on here, so, you know, perhaps, I don't know if you can see me, I cannot see any of you. So let's assume that you cannot see me, I cannot see you. I am standing still right here because, you know why? Because I'm afraid to take a step forward or backward or sideways, sideways because I'm just scared that I might fall off the stage. Now, I might be picking my nose or perhaps making some funny faces, poking fun at you, maybe even engaged in some kind of a sin, sinful activity. You cannot see anything. Now, suddenly, this light appears. Now all of a sudden, I can see myself. You can see me. I can see my surroundings. And therefore, I could take a step sideways to the left, to the sideways to the right. I have no fear whatsoever of falling off the stage because I can see. This is one of the benefits of light. It illuminates Second, it exposes. You know what? In other words, I can see a pimple over there, or a, 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 a sagging skin over here, you know, all kinds of... In other words, all of a sudden, I'm also able to see all the things that may not so good. And moreover, I cannot pick my nose anymore because you will see me. I cannot make fun of you. I cannot poke fun of you. I cannot make funny faces. And so while in darkness, I was able to do anything and everything that I wanted. Nobody notices, including sinful activity. But the light comes on. And all of a sudden, it radically alters my life. Now, here's another thing that you needed to know, too, that when God, whose light came on us, it was a spotlight. Let me explain why. Because for, in some, for some reason or another, God, in his greatest wisdom, had not chosen to remove the dark world that is out there. He's shining his light on his people, and therefore, his people are living in a spotlight. Christian life is a life in a spotlight. Go ahead and turn off, turn on all of them. 
And you see that right there. For example, as Pastor Jeremy preached last week, you know, the apostles were saying, you know, we saw him, we gazed at him, we touched him, we heard him, and we know for sure he is God himself, God incarnate, Jesus Christ. And therefore they say we are filled with joy and we want to share, we want to proclaim that good news to you so that you also will have fellowship and be filled with joy. In fact, if you study the history, church history of the apostles, it is known that the apostle Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded by Herod. Apostle Paul was beheaded by Emperor Nero. Apostle Thomas was thrown into an oven, flames, and killed. There was another apostle who was put into oil and the oil was slowly heated and he died there. Another apostle was nailed to the ground and was beheaded. You know, until Jesus came, this light came, they were minding their own business. They were fishing in the Sea of Galilee. They were married and they they were raising their children and all of a sudden this light appeared and their life was radically different. And Apostle John, when he says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, because of that revelation, He wants our lives to be radically different as well. That's the message that you will see throughout 1 John. And we will take them one at a time and go through this big book over several months. So today, here's what he's calling for. Renounce sin. That's number one. Number two, get along with one another. Those are the two things that he would be talking about in the sermon text today, beginning in verse 6. So, let's focus on verse 6 here. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. And as I read this, look for a motif... That will start with, if we say, and then it will say, but if. Okay, you will see it. In fact, I have put that, that motif, in your bulletin on the sermon page. If you will see that, you know, if if we say is in in bold letters, and then on the right-hand side, on the right-hand column, you will see, but if. So you could follow along there, or you could follow along as the slides come up on the screen. So 1 John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Yes, but if. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the first, if we say, but if motive. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all righteousness. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Chapter 2. I'm going to start in the middle of verse 1. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Did he catch those if we say, but if motives? That's the transformation. If you go from if we say this, that's the life before the light came. The light of God came. But if is a new life that we live in response to this revelation that God is light. So that's what I want to do. I want to take first the idea of renouncing sin. So I'm going to start with verse 8. It says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And verse 10, if we have not sinned, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now here what is happening is, there are, there are two extremes, by the way. There is one school of thought that would say that we can live a sinless perfect life. And there are verses to that, you know, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And people would quote all those things. For example, Christian apologist R.C. Sproul tells a story of a young man who had been a Christian for a year. One day this young man walked into R.C. Sproul and, and proclaimed that he had not sinned since becoming a Christian a year ago. Astonished, Arsis Paul walked this young man through several scripture passages, including this passage in 1 John. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You know what the young man said? The young man said, well, maybe the Apostle John is speaking about non-Christians. To that, R.C. Paul said that this was a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches and therefore to Christians. To that, the young man replied, well... Maybe these were newly converted 
baby Christians who are not yet mature enough to not sin. To that, R.C. Sproul said, look at the word we, W-E, because it says, if we say, if we say, right, that's what it says, which is first person plural, which meant that John, the Apostle John, is including himself when he talks about this. And then R.C. Sproul proceeded to ask this young man, you mean that you... At age 19, after one year of being a Christian, have achieved a higher level of maturity than the Apostle Paul. And Narcissus Paul concludes this way, To my everlasting shock, the young man replied without flinching, Yes. That is sinless perfectionism. So what the apostle John is doing here is he is rejecting that idea that we can live sinless, perfect lives. You know why he's rejecting that? Because in verse 9, for example... Or even, uh, let's, let's look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You know what he's saying? If we say that we are perfect and we never sin, we mock God. You know why? Because God went through this elaborate plan of sending His Son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, dead in our transgressions and sins, unable to do anything, unable to reach out to God. God took the initiative, sent His Son to the world, and, and to have Him die on the cross, rise again, and, and now seated at the, at the right hand of the Father, And if we say that we are perfect and we are sinless, we are mocking God. Because all that was unnecessary. And that's why the Apostle John says, we make God a liar. So he's rejecting that. Now the problem is, okay, so we we say that we we can never be sinless and perfect. And so people will say, okay, I guess then I could go ahead and sin. And that is another thing that the Apostle John is rejecting here. Because here it says here that if we say that we have no sin, it is present tense It is a continuing action. What Apostle John is rejecting is that somebody intentionally, continuously sinning and sinning and sinning is something that he is rejecting totally. So if we are in the habit of that, then we need to know that we have a problem. So what's the remedy for this? Then on the other hand, we cannot claim sinless perfection, so we will sin. 
But on the other hand, the Apostle John is saying, but you cannot go on sinning, keep on sinning the same thing over and over and over again because that is also mocking the grace of God. So what's the remedy? And the remedy is found in chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what they about, here's what is in, in, in response to this revelation that God is light. Christians are to live a life of confession. And this confession needs to be daily. Perhaps every second, every minute, however often that we sin, this, this is a life of confession. Now, there are two kinds of confessions, by the way. There's one kind of confession, it's, a, it's, 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 related to the, it's related to salvation. That if we confess with our mouth, that he will forgive our sins. And then we become born again, we become saved. But all that is done here is actually, that's a one-time event, that you're saved by confessing our sins. But all that is done here, for example, if you see, if we confess our sins, it's a present tense. It is an ongoing activity of confession. Every time we sin, confession. Every time we sin, confession. And God keeps on forgiving and forgiving. Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, like a lawyer, advocates, argues our case in front of God and says, Forgive them, Father. He's innocent. She's innocent. I died for them. It's an ongoing activity that happens in heaven. When I was in graduate school, now it's hard to believe 30 years ago, I had a habit of coming home end of the end of the day after having dinner before I go to bed I would lie on the couch and basically close my eyes and go through a rundown of all that I had done on that particular day. So, for example, I would say to God, God, I woke up at this time, I brushed my teeth, and I took a shower, and I had, you know, breakfast. I, I, I ate, you know, uh, I don't know, peanut butter and jam sandwich, you know, whatever. I, I mean, it's very specific. And then I went to the lab and I did research and I talked to this person this and that person that. And I go through this entire day that I, all of the activities that I had done and suddenly as I, as I verbalize these to God, some of the sins that I had committed would come to mind. I was unkind to this person. I did not help this person. I did this, I did this, and all of a sudden, they are right in front of me as they come. I confess, and I confess, and I confess. As a result, every night, 
I was able to confess and come clean before God and go to bed. That's what we are talking about. So as Christians, do we sin? Absolutely. Sinless perfection is a heresy. But as we sin, however, we need to confess and confess and confess because God through Christ has atoned for our sins and therefore there is forgiveness available to us. Moreover, right now, even as we speak, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father as our advocate, as our intercessor, proclaiming to God, He is innocent, she is innocent. Forgive him, Father. Forgive her, Father. And therefore, the Apostle John is encouraging astonishing us to take advantage of this confession. Remember this. It's not available for people who are not with God. It is available for Christians on whom God is shining His light. That's the first point. Now on to the second point. Get along with one another. Get along with other Christians. That's what it says in verse 8. For example, here the verse, verse 6 and 7, by the way, here's a, here's a twist to that, and you can see if we could catch that twist in the, when we go from verse 6 to verse 7. Here we read, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, what is happening in verse 6 is that Christians then, during the Apostle John's time, were claiming to have fellowship with God. But they were still walking in darkness. And John says, such spirituality is a lie. But then you move on to verse 7. But if you expect it to read, instead of we have fellowship with one another, what is that you would expect to read? You would expect to read, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God. Because that's what it's talking about. Verse 6 is talking about that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and da 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 da. And therefore you go to the next one, then you expect to see we have fellowship with God. But instead, he has a twist. He says, we have fellowship with one another. In other words, though, Christians who claim to have fellowship with God and walk in His light will get along with other Christians. Put it negatively, you know, Christians who claim to have fellowship with God and walk in His light, but who are not getting along with other Christians, there is something 
wrong. That kind of spirituality is a lie, says the Apostle John. Such Christians do not practice the truth. Now, when I say that statement, perhaps some of you might be asking this. Pastor David, do you mean to say that Christians will never have conflict with one another? It's a good question. My answer is no. And the Apostle John's answer is no also. Notice the Apostle John did not say that Christians would not have conflicts. In fact, he assumes that they would have conflict. Do you know how, how I know that? Because again, let's read verses 6 and 7 again, okay? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if, we, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here's the, here's the important note. And the blood of Jesus, his son, declare, cleanses us from all sin. That phrase, that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin means, of course they will have conflict. But the conflict are resolvable because of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses those sins. Another way of saying would be this. At the root of every conflict, there is sin, such as pride, Anger, jealousy, selfishness, and so on. But the blood of Jesus is able to cleanse all such sins and in so doing, restore the fellowship with one another. And not only that, notice again that the, the verb cleanse is actually in the present tense. In the Greek language, by the way, but something in, this, in the present tense, it is an ongoing, continuous activity. Which means, Christian, one Christian has a conflict with the another, and they take advantage of the blood of Jesus to cleanse themselves of their sin, and then move on. They will have another conflict together, they take advantage of the, of the blood of Jesus to cleanse their sin there, and then move on. It is a continuing, ongoing activity. You know, I had to come to this face-to-face this past week. On Friday mornings, 7 o'clock, I get together with a group of six men, six other men. And we are doing life together, keeping each other accountable, confessing our sins to one another, challenging one another, encouraging one another, Encouraging one another to live missionally and on all of those different things that we are doing. And for the past four weeks, we have been studying conflict resolution. We follow a particular curriculum, so we have been studying conflict resolution. 
In this curriculum, the author makes a distinction between heart forgiveness and expressed forgiveness. Let me explain what those, what those are. He calls the heart forgiveness as a vertical one. That is, I, who is in conflict with another brother or a sister, would look at God and say, God, I have a heart of forgiveness. And I'm truly forgiving this person. Whereas the expressed forgiveness is, the two of them get to talk to each other, they own up their, their contribution to that particular conflict, and they ask forgiveness of each other, and there is repentance and so on, and after that, you can express the forgiveness to the other person. Now, that may or may not be possible all the time, but when, when that is not possible, here's, here's, here's how I, as I studied this, I said to myself, if that is not possible, then I asked myself the question, am I taking advantage of the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus to address that particular sin that resulted in that conflict? So, I came to the meeting, one of those meetings, and said, brothers, I need to confess something to you. So I'm going to tell you the story. Okay, this is a true story that happened here at Midland Free. There was a conflict, and again, you know, you know that we as a church have gone through a transition for the past two years and so on. There were lots of, you know, things that happened. So as a result of that, there was a couple who left the church. Then fast forward a year or so, there was a there was a marriage conference that happened in town. So I happened, Jim and I happened to be there. And we saw this couple sitting about several rows in front of us. And so Jim leaned over to me and said, hey, I see so-and-so there. And then, after the first session was over, and before the second session started, there was a period of time, maybe let's say in a five, ten minutes. To my shock... Jim walked over to this couple and talked to them. I couldn't do it. So I admired my wife for doing that. And then she came back and we sat down and we had a chat. And fast forward, perhaps several months, there was a funeral that happened. And there was the couple again. And we saw at a distance, I waved at them, and they waved at, they waved at us. And to my horror, Jim walked over to them and talked to them again. During the time, Jim's mom had passed away. So a card came from this couple addressed to Jim only, not to me. expressing condolences and sympathies and saying how wonderfully a godly woman that she had been for doing those kinds of things. In other words, there was a conflict that happened. They left the church and we see them and she's able to go and have a conversation. I am still struggling. So what my confession to my brothers and the the meaning was this. With clear conscience, I could not stand before God in my prayer life and say to God, God, I have a heart of forgiveness. 
Let's suppose that they are 100% at fault. And so they need to ask forgiveness to reconcile the difference. Let's, let's say that. Usually in conflicts, that's not the case. But let's at least say that. Okay, so that's, that's, that's what's all. But the fact remains that standing before God, I could not say, God, you forgave me much. Remember the parable of the unmerciful servant? You forgave me much that you came, sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me while I was still a sinner, un- dead in my transgressions and sin, unable to do anything with it, unable to respond and reach out to you. And because I appreciate that so much, I have a heart of forgiveness is something that I could not say. So I confessed to my brothers. And they said, Pastor David, we are going to hold you accountable for this. See, here I am, confessing to you. And I went home from that meeting on Friday morning. And I went to prayer. And I prayed to God. And said, God, let's put it strongly here. I have been living a lie. That's what John says. Or I made God a liar. And that's what I said. God gave me the heart of forgiveness. Such that, that I could verbalize to you that I have truly forgiven them. We we cannot do this if God is not in us. If God's spirit is not in us. If God has not shown his light on us. As As I demonstrated to you earlier, you know, in darkness I don't see anything. But when God shines this light, I see not only illuminated, exposes everything about me. I could see my good aspects of it. I see my bad side of it. And therefore, see God to put things right. That's what this is all about. You know, that particular curriculum that we studied says this, you know, God does not express forgiveness without repentance. Think about that for a second. God does not express forgiveness without repentance. Though he always has a heart that is willing to forgive. That's what we are supposed to do. We always must have this heart of forgiveness so that we could stand before God and say, God, thank you for giving me this heart of forgiveness and I have forgiven that person. But then, when the two parties in conflict meet together, we figure out what was the, what was the sin that was at the, at, the, at the center of it. Who owns how much? And then allowing the blood of Jesus to cleanse that conflict. Christians, because of the revelation that God is light, renounce sin. 
It is not about sinless perfection, but it is about a life of confession as we sin. And second, we get along with one another. If we do that, that is a life-altering, radical life. And it is possible because God is light. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for convicting me of my own sin. And Father God, I'm sure there are many in our congregation as well who might be in conflict, who have not taken advantage of the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Help us all. We are in this journey together, Lord, to become your disciples and disciple makers. And help us in such a way that truly we live lives that are reflective of your revelation that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. May that be so in my life and also in the life of my brothers and sisters. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. John writes that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The author of Hebrews expands on this and says, but as, that, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Please stand and sing with us as we celebrate what Jesus did once for all. Once and for all, the Father's love, He is the light in the darkness, who took our flesh and took our place, the weight of the world on His shoulders, the weight of the world on His